Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. My appearance brought to you by Fish Pills. Fish Pills, it's easier than just sucking on fish. Right on. I have a sponsor for my uh, sure. part of the podcast. I wonder sure. why you were covered in patches. Yeah, that's just it's just for me. They're not no, that's sponsor- unrelated, actually. That that they're not they're not sponsoring you. Just, just no, me. It's, it's a personal branding thing. That's right. Also joining us, Jed Baruch, director of Mission USA Productions. I do not have a sponsor, and I think we all know why. Artistic integrity. <laughs> sure, let's go with that. That's a much better reason than what I was thinking. <laughs> joining us all the way from Mercer City, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Guys, it's the most wonderful time of year, and of course, I do mean the time where Oreos come ensconced in white chocolate. Oh, that is pretty wonderful. I'm it does feel lie. very un-American that they, they don't offer those all year round. Yeah. Well, we've got a big show, uh, Oreos and Glenn's personal sponsorship, notwithstanding. Yes. We've got a uh, interview coming up with uh, Chris Kilala, who's one of the uh, key worship leaders for Jesus Culture. has been on all their records and just put out his own record. It's a really cool talk with him, kind of a dude who's done a lot of worship stuff in a lot of different contexts and kind of what how he thinks of that is very... Cool idea. We got some good questions, so we're ready to just soldier on here. Yep, I think let's let's get right into it. You Being know, that right. um, we, I think we fixed the te- technical difficulties that ate an entire segment from last week's show. Right. Which, right. if you li- for our more uh, uh, sharp-eared listeners may have uh, realized, for the first time in about two hundred episodes, I totally did different wordings than I did when I introduced you guys. Okay. So wow. off kilter. Were we, but I okay. think I th- so. Hopefully, it did nice, easy show to slide back into the groove. It's good. Let's yeah. get right to it, man. Yeah, right. I think, uh, I like let's that. get into that. First question comes in. And Wait a second. Oh, good. We were gonna have to talk slow to fill the whole hour if one of these guys did jump in. I declare an emergency. What kind of emergency? It's a very laid back emergency so far. It's a love emergency. Whoa. Oh, that's my favorite kind. Look, I have a bad feeling about this. <laughs> Here's the thing. We got there's a lot of problems in the world. Sure. We got, we got struggles, we got conflicts. Yeah, famine, disease, war, it's a whole thing. Okay. And uh but the the worst of the four horsemen is the horseman of the whole thing. <laughs> that's okay. And here's what let's just say it. Regardless of where you're coming from. Yeah. Two thousand sixteen has been a real schmuck of a year. It really has. It's been a bit rough. It has it's been rough. Yeah. Okay. Now, what I'm saying is what we really need is for Matt to finally stop his insistence on being single. Man, I couldn't agree more. That would bring 2016 around. Now, we had a, a, a pers- lot of pressure on one little man. Make Matt uh, love again. Yeah. Well, we, our, our brother. brother uh, the, the word again in there is misplaced. Yeah. The. the, uh, the our brother Brad Warren. Uh, uh, was it Brad Warren or yes, brother sir. Adam? That this was Adam. Oh, it was Adam Whedon. Uh, Brad sent in an entirely different thing. Oh, you're right. You're right. Well, there's so many assaults on Matt's character. I well, let's, let's get the Brad one out of the way real quick. Uh, so uh, Brad, uh, off one of our previous uh, emergencies about, you know, if the Cubs can be lovable losers, surely we can as well, emails us uh, a few weeks ago and it says, 
Uh, guys, it occurs to me that the longest losing streak in Chicago, now that the Cubs have won the World Series, is Matt King failing to get married. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would not That's characterize right. the streak as that. And then uh, Brad, who's a good man, who's a friend to me, he, he's had I've uh, eaten dinner at his house. He supports me at the ministry. I've held his infant child in my arms right. at the hospital. Proceeds to get my birthday wrong. Yeah. After texting me to find out what my birthday was for the sake of this joke email. That's a man with a lot of small children. He then gets it wrong okay. uh, by several days. But uh, the Bears have had uh, – I was born in 1985. Uh, the Bears won a championship. The Sox, the Bulls, obviously, now the Cubs, the the, the Blackhawks, several championships. So uh, Brad would say that uh, Matt King's love life is the single biggest losing streak in Chicago history at this well, moment. Hard and to argue with that. That's- we, and I think Glenn would agree. That's uh, the numbers bear this out. Uh, Superfan Adam Whedon uh, 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 tweeted us a campaign we might want to start. Yeah, a name for this: Make a Matt date again. Yeah, wow. Yeah. yeah. Now, and that that was brought up on one of your Facebook posts. Yeah, about a similar incident. Yeah. Now this is a uh, this is one of my favorite things that has happened to me in my life. Here's, here's a hint. If uh, Glenn says it's one of his favorite things, it's normally not good for Jed or I. Yeah, that's, that's right. Now, good. here's the thing is uh, you know, we have a bridge service on Tuesdays. Uh, it's a, a worship service for ex-cons, addicts, gangbangers. And we bring in different pastors, and they come in and preach and, uh, on a topic that's selected by the people who attend the service. And we also have a host team. Now, a host team, what they do is they do the greeting at the door, and then they provide a meal for us after the service. Uh, this is a host team this particular week is Grace and Peace here in Chicago, one of our favorite churches of all time. Uh, it's from This is a Northside church, and in, in Chicago, the Northside is a Puerto Rican community. And so we had about 20 uh, uh, Puerto Rican church ladies. Yep. The average height was about 4 foot 10. Okay. If you're wondering of the many factors that make this one of Glenn's favorite churches— Keep start the checklist right there. Yeah, I, I tower over most of the ladies in the, in the whole thing, and uh, fired up. I mean, these ladies are about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are all. Th- this whole room is just lit up, and the food is just to die. The excitement for. with which they described seasoning and cooking the turkey for twenty four full hours. Let me tell you what: it, 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 don't spill any on your head. Your tongue will beat your brains out trying to get to it. Okay, so this is what we're working with. And I pulled these ladies aside. I huddled them up around me. I said, ladies, (laughs) I'm talking about Matt now. (laughs) Matt is single. Did you do this while pointing at me as I was across the room trying to minister to someone? You know I did. I do know you did. (laughs) And I said, ladies, uh, Matt needs love. Yeah. Okay. Matt is a good man. Yeah. Debatable. Loves Jesus. Yeah. Eh. Snappy dresser. Totally. Well, that's true. Uh, (laughs) But here's what he needs, and I I made this as clear to the ladies as I possibly could, and this is exactly, exactly what I said and how I said it. I said, ladies, he needs a good Christian woman, but here's what he needs. He needs a strong woman. Wow. Mm -hmm. Strong. Yes. We need a woman that will break this brother down. <laughs> yep. Yep. And build him back up again. Yeah. And Glenn, uh, Glenn letting slip a little about what he thinks about the what relationships are for there. That's right. And we're going to mold him. Yeah. We're going to shape him. We're going to break his spirit. Yeah. 
That's what we're going to do. <laughs> I would I would argue that that's already happened. So I told this to the ladies, and they, and the, some of them, the, the English, they're getting kind of about every other word, and some are with me. And this one gal next to me, and I, I could tell she was kind of struggling to make it out, you know, what I was describing, and I was mixing in a little Spanglish here and there to kind of emphasize the point. And I wasn't quite sure she she got the intent of what I was saying. And I so I turned to her and I said, you know what I mean about all that? And she mimed a person shooting a bow and arrow yeah. and said the word Cupido. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, now this gal gets it. Yes, yes. Everybody line up behind her. She's going to lead us to freedom. That's right. Yeah, it's the year of Cupido. It's the year of Cupido. Yeah. So here's what, fellas, here's what I'm saying is, how are we going to get this done? Because we've only got a few more weeks of 016. Well, I think, you know, we have our, our good friend, Woody, official legal counsel to the bridge program. That's right. And I think we need his help in determining how with it, how voluntary does Matt's agreement have to be for right. a marriage to be legally binding? Right. That's a really You're pitching question. some kind of... Uh... Well, you, you brought up projectiles, and that got me thinking about tasers. Sure. All right? I yep. think it's the 21st century version of a shotgun wedding. I think several thousand volts flowing through Matt's brain yep. might shake some things loose. Absolutely. In that he would shake and fall to the floor. Right. But technically, he could probably still mouth the words I do right. in front of a justice of the peace. Of course, here we're living in some alternate universe where I've never been tasered before, <laughs> which is simply not the one we live in. <laughs> you are from the South, so we all know better. Tasers used to be cheap and. Uh, high school age men in Tennessee bored. That's right. Look, so here's my bottom line. This is why we need the help of official legal counsel to Mission USA. Woody woo. Yeah. Here's here's what we need is we're he's not going to go quiet into that good night. No. Okay. No. He's not going to voluntarily get. Nor will I do right. anything else that Dylan Thomas wrote. Yeah. Well played. But how you know how much can we coax that situation? How much can we help it? Right. How much can we massage it and assist it? Well, it, you're looking to make a marriage a very literal pyramid scheme. Yes. Yes, I am. Well, I tell you what I what I like about this idea. Hit me. I in my world and the way I conceive of things, this is most of the way most marriages work. <laughs> <laughs> we know. Uh, we you know. know, there was a there was a point where my own beloved wife and I were meeting with another couple, as a pastor and his wife, and he was talking about the amazing, inspirational, exciting, and thrilling service that they had to rededicate mm. their marriage. Ooh, a rededication! And walk down the aisle and say the vows, everything all over sure. again. And the the look of excitement and joy in my wife's face was amazing. Yeah, it's magical. And. My statement to her on that was the first time I really had no idea what I was getting into. Sure, sure. <laughs> you don't want to take a shot yeah. at asking me that question a second time. Sure. Because now I really know. Yeah. So let's quit while we're ahead. See well, saying? you did sure. technically leave yourself a loophole, which you advise many other people, have advised since other people to do. I think most people think I'm lying when I say this. I held out the wrong hand to my wife. And she put the ring on the wrong hand, on my right hand. Yeah. So, and I advised her right after the wedding that she was married to me, but I wasn't married to her. Right. But this is an example of what I'm talking about. It didn't work. Yeah. So I'm saying yeah. that was my plan. Yeah. 
It didn't work. I ended up married basically against my will. Sure, absolutely. Why can't we do that with Matt? That's what we're going to have to do. Yeah. Well, yeah. here's the thing, too, is that you're talking about enlisting the help of our Puerto Rican sisters, right? On this, yes. this whole thing. Yeah. So the thing is that Matt is actually pretty functional in Portuguese, which is close to Spanish. I mean, I think sure. in no time at all, we could get him right up to speed on Spanish. He's already told everybody on the internet that his actual birthday is August 16th. Yep. I mean, you know, we can... There, you know, we we can really get this train rolling on, you know, the gals out there just you know kind of speaking Matt's love language, getting him birthday presents, all this kind yep. of stuff. He's right yep. there on the on the cusp of being able to be you know functional in Spanish. I, I think we're really pretty close here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For a second there, I thought Lee was going to say Matt's pretty functional. We all know that's not true. No, but I think Lee's opening the door because we we like the idea of a competition. Yeah, certainly. Uh, we we like the idea of yeah. Reality shows have not birthed anything horrible this year so far. <laughs> and I have I, no idea what you're talking about. I know you don't. And I'm going to build on your idea of sort of the gift giving and courting right. favor and so forth. I've got the perfect idea, fellas. Yeah, okay. Regardless of your ethnical, uh, you know, inclinations. Sure. Would you say irregardless of them? Yes. Sure. Okay. Then, uh, what you what you want to do is send in. A dish. Okay. Send You're, food. Send food. We will review said food. We will review the That's food. That's an awesome yes. idea. Yes. And award the winner, yeah. Matt King. It's like The Voice, but with food. That's... Yeah. I've never seen that it's, show. It's great, Jed, because there are no food-based reality shows. <laughs> no, I can't think of any. <laughs> yeah. Like one where you want to find the chef who's the top one? No, I can't think of anything. Yeah, I don't know Nothing what comes that to is, mind. But, like uh, a kitchen that's a nightmare. No, uh, I, I, I watch the music. Or there's food and you chop it. I, I watch the music ones because that's how music works. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, true. It's, it's just like that. So My wife uh, uh, watches one that I call sewing and crying. <laughs> and she hates when I call it. It's called Project Runaway. And I say, let me ask you a question. Are they sewing in this episode? And she says, yeah. Is it? Are Are they they crying crying in that episode? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Three times. Well, okay. That's sewing and crying. But this what I'm saying is uh, you send those dishes in. Maybe Cupido's arrow strikes you. That's right. It could happen. Yeah. Uh, Dare to dream, listeners. That's right. Dare to dream. Send in your tasty treats. Yeah. And we will select a winner. It's never been easier to get into... A Matt King marriage. Yes. Cupido Quest 2016. That's right. So I, I think we've done it, fellas. I, I think, think we've cracked, cracked the case. It. Certainly uh, done something. But we we got, you know, this needs to happen in yeah. 016. I couldn't agree more. Uh, my whole, if I had to face the, this year yeah, knowing that it, we, de- we don't have any hope on this, I just don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. Exactly. So on that basis, I declare emergency off. Okay, well, that went far worse than I thought it was going to. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's really my fault for not having a uh, emergency topic ready to steer them towards. Sure. I let uh, I let the, the kind of the peanut gallery take the emergency whichever way they wanted to. That's really on me. Yeah. 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 You know what you did. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And there, certainly there have been a lot of uh, fairly um, 
unspectacular things about 2016, shall we say? Yeah. There's been some problems, been some troughs, there's been some peaks as well. For example, uh, we, we there were 12 bridge boxes. Oh, yeah. Oh. 11 so far. The 12th one is a coming. Yeah. So uh, that's, and that's, you know, people around the world, uh, 12 full times. You got the music and the sermons and the Bible studies and lots of good stuff that people have taken into prison to lead Bible studies there and you know, helped with a small group and sent the music to friends and it's all a lot of good stuff. And... Uh, that money has paid for a full year of multiple bridge deacons. Yes. Mm. Uh, part-time uh, folks who work here in the ministry who've welcomed people to the service and uh, connected people with churches and got people hooked up with jobs and done all sorts of good stuff because of our friends supporting Bridgebox. So if you want to get 017 kicked off right, you can sign up for Bridgebox. That's missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. Only $8 a month if you're interested in that. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. comes in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox. You can have this all the way to the end. I'll give you some ways you can get in touch with this. First question says, what does God think of me? The parent-kid analogy isn't helping me, as parents can definitely be sad and disappointed in you, but I feel like there's a nuance to this that I'm missing. Like, you can't still be happy about me when I'm such a mess up. Also, you can you ever make God proud or impressed with you? Are there any Bible passages for me to refer to when I need to be reminded of God's truth? Thanks, guys. And Lee, why don't you start us off? I'd love to. I, I would say, first of all, I think that that a lot of people assume that that our job is in, in Christianity, our job is to behave. That God is someone to be either impressed or disappointed. And so the whole thing is to behave or not to behave. And the the only problem with that is First of all, God can't be really disappointed in you because God already knows all the certainties. He already knows everything that's going to happen in order to be disappointed in something, I would have to have an expectation that doesn't get met. And so if God knows everything already, then he's not actually disappointed in you. Actually, he know he knew everything about you before you ever started doing all the things. Before we ever misbehaved once, God already knew who we were going to be, and he already knew that he wanted to have a relationship with us. And so the... Uh, the, the real question for us is, what is the whole nature of Christianity? What's the whole nature of my relationship with God? What if, uh, what if my principal you know, job is not to behave, but just to believe? Um, somebody asked Jesus one time, like, what's the work that God requires? And he says, believe in the one that he sent. Believe what Jesus says about you. Believe what Jesus says about himself. Um, Jesus says some awesome things about you. He says, he, he, he told people, your sins are forgiven. He said to a, a lady one time, I do not condemn you. Um, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, you'll find rest. He said, he said one time, anybody that comes to me, I will not turn away. I will not cast aside. Um, and, but the other thing that I would say is not just to look at the stuff that God says, but to look at the way that, that God treats us. Look at what God has done. I mean, if you if you were to ask like, and you probably know what I mean by this, but if you were to ask like the reporter questions about that verse in uh, Romans chapter five, verse eight, you know what I mean by the record, reporter questions, the who, what, where, when, why, and how, um, there's a verse in Romans chapter five that says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That's an awesome verse. It's one that you know that, that you want to kind of have in your back pocket, especially if you do any type of ministry and stuff like that. But if you start asking the reporter questions about that about that verse, then what you find out about the love of God is that the love of God is demonstrated in the fact that Jesus 
loved you and gave himself for you while you were still a sinner, while I was still a sinner. When you ask like, okay, what happened? God uh, demonstrated his love. How? And that Jesus died for me. When did that happen? When I was still a sinner. That's an awesome thing. And if we don't, if we get caught up in this idea that my job as a Christian is to behave, then I am going to be, uh, I'm going to be bouncing back and forth from exactly what you're talking about. Is God either proud of me or is he disappointed in me? But if, if all I'm supposed to really do is just believe in Jesus and Jesus says, Hey, I loved you when you were a sinner. I gave my life for you when you were a sinner. And when you were when you were hopeless on your own, that's when I saw you, wanted you, pursued you, came down for you, and gave my life for you. If we look at what what God has done, and if we look at the way that he is, then we can start to see our way around this, that my job isn't to behave, but really just to believe. That's really good stuff. I think it's an excellent place to start this discussion. And Glenn, let's dig into this idea of the... the kind of uh, parent-child analogy. We've talked mm-hmm. before on the show about how really no single um, analogy sums up the relationship we have with God. That's why there's so many of them. Mm-hmm. But uh, the parent-child one is certainly a big one. It's one that comes up many times. You know, God first himself as a father. Um, but I think our friend here points out some uh, really important breakdowns in that analogy. But are they looking at this quite the right way? Well, I don't think so, because uh, there's a tendency to look at the parent-child relationship and for— for whatever reason, I think the, a lot of people that I talk to try to compare God to the parents that they have, mm-hmm. which is right. not really what that analogy is trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have imperfect parents. God is perfect. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where that analogy breaks down. Uh, I think uh, you're supposed to understand your role as child in that analogy. That's really important. And I think you're meant to recognize that God has a parental love for you. So therefore, if you imagined being a parent of a child, how would you feel? Exactly. If your child if yeah, if your child said what you just said here, uh, uh can I ever make you proud or impressed with me? You would say, well, I am proud of you at, at times. I'm at impressed with you at times. I'm disappointed with you at times, as, as you point out in your question. But none of that has to do with anything. That's not—your value doesn't change. Mm-hmm. Right. The way I feel about you doesn't change based on behavior, because that's not what love is. Yep. That's not how love works. And you could easily imagine if you had a child and your child uh, messed up and whatever— uh, it, it, you know, it wouldn't—it it doesn't change the, the, the feel of that, the dynamic of that. Uh, I love this verse, I think, really illustrates the point I'm trying to make. Romans 8, 15, it says, the, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. So he's saying uh, this, just as, as uh, Lee was just talking about, this isn't about behave, this isn't about uh, God's the big, uh, 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 you know, mean ruler mm-hmm. from on high. Um, you didn't uh, receive that spirit. Rather, the spirit you received brought you brought about your adoption to sonship. So you're being adopted into a family, and and by him we cry, Abba, Father. You know what is? Why is the? 
Abba means, Father. Why did why did they put that in there? Because Abba is you know, when when you're a, a little child uh, in that part of the world when you, you you didn't say Dada or Poppy or something like that. It was Abba. It was, that's that's what a little teeny 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 tiny baby says and calls his father. He's saying that's the spirit we've received. You're picturing yourself as a grown person who's being judged and evaluated. Mm-hmm. Small children are not judged and evaluated. Yeah. They poop their pants. That, that's what they do. That just happens. Yeah. There's it's right. never it's never going to be something else. We didn't we're not disappointed in that because we didn't have our hopes up there would be something besides that. Mm-hmm. That's what God expects for you. That's how that's the relationship uh, that uh, that we have with Him. Is we are his infant children, mm-hmm. uh, and and we are uh, loved in that way, and there's an understanding about our behavior, and yeah, there is a call to grow and develop and to mature and 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 move through uh, uh, learning things, but we're always going to be his small child and to mm-hmm. be loved in that way. That's really a fascinating background to that. It's a really good way to look at that. And Jed Glenn started us off there with the idea of. Um, people misunderstanding the parent-child analogy uh, through the prism of their own experiences. It sounds like there's a fair amount of that going on here. What do we say to kind of dismantle that kind of thinking? It's a great question. Well, this is just a guess, and we appreciate you writing in, uh, but the, the guess is based on a lot of experience. I'm guessing that one or both of your parents was a huge jerk, mm-hmm. uh, and that's part of what we're dealing with. And if I'm right about that, I'm really sorry that you had that experience. And, and if you're not sure, here's a quick acid test. Imagine, as Glenn said, that you had a child of your own. Would you want them to be raised the way you were raised? Right. If your immediate reflexive answer is, oh, God, no, then you didn't have the greatest parents. Uh, You're also in good company, but uh, that's what that is. Here's why I raise that is um, you can have terrible parents and be a great parent yourself. No problem. You can definitely do that. But we have to acknowledge you had terrible parents on the journey to becoming a good parent. That's right. Um, If you grew up observing a train wreck of a marriage, you can have a great marriage of your own. But we kind of have to acknowledge that this marriage we saw was a train wreck so that we can do something different. Uh, We can't skip that step. And it's for what it's worth, it's really rough to say, no, my my parents kind of sucked at parenting. Uh, No one wants to say that. No no one wants to say that. But if it's true, then that's unfortunately part of the journey forward. That doesn't mean they're bad people. That doesn't mean they didn't love you. That doesn't even necessarily mean they didn't do the best they could. But just they were not very good at this thing Mm -hmm. that, that they were trying to do. If that's the case, I think we need to start giving ourselves permission to be honest about that. And we need to start being honest with God about that. Because I, I think you sense in your question, there's kind of a holdup in my relationship. There's something to do with the way I think about parenting and him being a parent and whatnot. Eh, the odds are pretty high that that something is you had some pretty rough parents of, of your own self. He already knows that. He will not be surprised to hear that. But I think you need to start talking to him about that. It might be good to talk to a counselor or a pastor about that as well. Certainly you can e- email us. We'd, we'd love to, to hear from you. But this is the key thing. We can't st- skip steps in this Christian walk. That doesn't work. We can't jump from, I had really terrible growing up years and boom, now I'm a totally squared away functional person. It doesn't work that way. Right. We have to confront the things. We have to be honest about the things, acknowledge the things that we've been through so that we can grow. We want the, the peace and the joy and the, the great relationships, including the great relationship with the Lord, that waits for you on the other side of that growth and healing. But that also means we want to urge you to get in the process of working through that healing, and that begins with being honest. I think that's absolutely the right way to look at that. All these guys gave you uh, some very good stuff on that. It's- it is important to understand the ways in which these analogies apply to uh, the relationship we have with God, as uh, Lee was pointing out there. It's also important to understand 
where these break down, where you have to look for, for other things, this idea that you bring up of um, could God be proud or impressed with me, or could they kind of, the flip side of that is uh, th- that question, if God can be uh, proud of you, he can be disappointed in you. And all that, if you in the way it plays out with uh, parents, is surprise. I mentioned yeah. when I uh, answered this question on the blog that the most leg- kind of beamingly proud I've ever seen my friends who are very good parents, be of their kids, is when the kid uh, acted in a humane way when they might not have. It's when they <laughs> sat down to the, the lonely kid at school or when they, uh, you know, helped somebody out with the lunch money or when they did something that, and there's this sense of pride mixed with the leaf of, oh, they're a decent person. Oh, thank <laughs> God. Because yeah. yeah. I didn't really have a hand on that. Like right. we did what we could, but, you know, the kids take what they take and it could have yeah. gone the other way. So it, God cannot have that feeling towards you, but that's a good thing. That's mm-hmm. so you can't, you cannot surprise God to the positive or the negative, that's right. a very positive thing. So you don't want to get too stuck on this idea of, well, I can't impress him. So what, as Glenn was pointing out, it's not your not your job to impress God. That's a very positive uh, development in this whole thing. Exactly. All right, we're going to go to our interview now. This is uh, with uh, Jesus Culture member and a uh, guy just released his first solo record, Chris Kilala. Uh, it was a really fun talk with him. Uh, he's done a lot of worship stuff. The new record is a, a big departure for him. He was kind enough to uh, talk to me on the day it was releasing when he had, um, it's fair to say, a lot of stuff going on. Okay. So, but uh, it was a really good chat, a lot of fun stuff. So, we'll take you that right now. love to uh actually because it is you the record releases today right yeah yep well let's start there i'm sure that's that that'd be interesting for people what's what's the headspace like as an artist to this be the day you're kind of putting this thing out into the world well it's funny because i've never done obviously this is my first solo album so um everything i do with jesus culture is sort of a team effort it's like you know we put something out and and hope you know that hope the best and you know but if people don't really like it, it's like well we did our you know we did our best team huh? but um so putting out a solo album definitely feels a lot more vulnerable in, in that sense um but at the end of the day i keep having to remind myself i was talking with my pastor um uh, a couple weeks ago and we always just talk about like you know we just bring what we have as an offering um to god and so it's sometimes i think it's it's uh it's tempting to to look at whatever numbers and, and charts and whatever, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's just like, you know, we just do our best for God. So I keep trying to remind myself, um, you know, this is just, just an offering for him and, and I hope people like it and get blessed by it. That's very cool. And, uh, it's kind of a musical departure too, right? A lot of the stuff you've done on the other worship albums is kind of, I guess a little bit more what people would be used to is kind of live worship music, the kind of stuff you might hear on a Sunday morning and, Split the mm-hmm. Sky is a little bit of a different animal, right? It is, for sure. And it's a studio album, so, I mean, you know, dynamically, it's it's a lot different. Um, but when I started talking with our my producers, you know, good friends of mine, it was like sending in a bunch of musical references. And then finally, when we just got in there, it was like, hey, let's have fun and uh, and just explore. And, and if it gets too weird, we can maybe reel it back in. But I'd rather... Um, maybe try to think a little bit outside the box at the very least um, musically and, and, um, and see what happens. So uh, I think you get, you, you get a little more freedom in that sense with a studio album. Um, And so that's what we did. We just went, I got in the room with a bunch of amazing musicians who happen to be, happen to be really good friends. And um, we just started 
going for it. <laughs> so it really was a lot of fun um, um, making something, you know, different. Uh, again, outside of the, the, the light albums we do a lot, which I love. Um, but this one feels, I definitely feel really attached to uh, musically, but also the songwriting and the heart behind it. Well, what are the differences for folks who may not be as uh, as up on kind of music production? What are the things you can do in a studio album that you may not be able to do in a live album? I think when like when we approach a live album, we definitely try um, we try to be really creative, but at the same time um, craft sort of a, an arrangement of a song musically um, to be approachable and I think tangible for for worshipers, for worship leaders, for churches. Um, to where they can, you know, hopefully hear the song and go, okay, yeah, we can, we can, um, we can try and play that on Sunday. And, uh, and so live, um, that's, that's typically what we try to do is, is make the songs approachable in the studio, especially for this being more of a, a solo album and, and not necessarily a Jesus culture album. Um, it was sort of, uh, <laughs> we just kind of said, Hey, there's no, let's not, let's take some of the rules off the guests and, um, approach it a little differently um than uh than we would a live album in that sense is just like there's a lot of programming and loops and synths and even to get really nerdy when we're talking drums for instance we ran it through like uh, an analog um tape delay and uh just just try some really different things that uh you know even even vocally there's like high you know high octave low octave different harmonies um just things that are a little harder to do uh to pull off live and at least organically live and so um yeah the studio sort of allowed a, a little more freedom in that sense musically and, and vocally which is really fun <laughs> and really different so yeah it's an amazing thing and where we are with recording music even the stuff we do around here of um th- i guess there reaches a point where the fanciest stuff becomes the old analog stuff <laughs> when you walk in the studio and see the really old school kind of yeah analog tape delay, that's when people are like, "Whoa, that's that's the next level stuff." Right, right. And my friend Dan, who helped produce it, he had all kinds of that stuff. So he was geeking out about a lot of it. Even he was at mixing the album and and sort of mixed it in an analog sense. Where he had, if we wanted to like turn down the tom when we were making mix notes, it was like, okay, let me. Tomorrow, I got to go back to the studio, fire up, recall all the settings, and then uh, turn down that tom and, and then turn it back to uh, digitally. So it was a lot of fun, but it, it is funny to see sort of, you know, through, even with all the technology, we still love to, to get really nerdy with the analog and the older stuff. For sure. Well, you mentioned kind of the difference between the live stuff and the studio stuff. What, what role does having an audience play and the live worship stuff you've done kind of and then what was the difference on doing an album of what would be considered worship music but not in that Mm -hmm. traditional sense did you learn kind of learn something about the thread of kind of what you try to connect to an audience with worship music when they're when you have to think about them at home listening as opposed to in the room right um yeah that's a great question i think you know live um Again, when we arrange a song live, we try to, to arrange it in a way where we can say, hey, you know, this is the arrangement, but, but we can get off the map if we want to. And, um, and that's sort of what we live for as a, as a band is like we just want to find those moments um, where, where we feel God sort of leading us and hopefully a song, spontaneous song or spontaneous moment comes out. And so 
I think the um, the temptation for me making a solo album was just to you know play the song top to bottom. But I think uh, we had to get a little more creative because I didn't want it to feel just like a you know copy paste verse chorus verse whatever. So a little more musical space and. Um, I personally love ambient music and stuff. So if I go to, um, you know, drive or, or even worship sometimes on my, in my own, on my own, I'll put on something that has no lyrics. So I try mm-hmm. to incorporate different elements like that into, um, into the solo album, just, um, to create a little space for if someone's listening to it, especially in like, in, in the heart of worship, um, they can have a little time to reflect without lyrics or, um, or what have you, just to sort of respond or, or allow God to speak to them. So I definitely tried to keep it very worshipful, um, even though it wasn't uh, recorded live, which is, again, so familiar for me. Um, it was it was fun, but also a challenge to make a, a studio album and, and keep it very, um, the heart the same, you know what I mean? For sure. You, you, you kind of used the word, it was interesting, and a lot of people do this, you kind of use the word worship in a bunch of different ways there kind of you know mm-hmm. as we all do it's 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 a noun it's an adjective it's a verb what, as someone who's been doing this for a while and you've been kind of doing worship stuff what since you were a teenager yep definitely since i was 12 i started playing drums <laughs> wow so for somebody who's been kind of doing this for a minute and in a lot of different contexts and live you know conferences and in the studio what what makes something worship to you what's the crossover of you know this is this is cool music. This is music that's has a Christian bent, but this is worship. What does that mean to you? For me, um, you know, I would say worship is meant to, it's a lifestyle. And so, um, you know, everything I do, I want, I hope there would be an overflow of, of my heart to just honor God, um, with my life. You know, if, um, if I'm with my kids, hopefully my, my love for them would, would give God glory. And, um, you know, in the context of making an album at the end of the day, um, when all is said and done, you know, and I meet God, he's not going to ask how many albums I I sold or (laughs) what have, you know, I think it's going to be, um, our heart, um, our heart condition is what he's looking at. And so for me, even just making, making this, which was a big deal, um, taking sort of a, a step, um, you know, it, even just practically like looking at charts or, you know, I really hope people like it. It sounds different, uh, reviews or whatever. Um, at the end of the day, it's just an offering to, to God. And, um, you know, whether it's, it's making an album or it's, or it's loving my family, I want my life to, to, to bring him glory, um, through, through whatever I do. And so I think oftentimes, even especially the temptation as a worship leader, worship pastor is to, um, is to think that worship is something I do as a living or I do on Sundays or what have you. But really, um, that's just, that's just a, the icing on the cake. It's a bonus. Um, my life should, um, should be an offering of worship. And, and I think, you know, even David modeled that and, and God saying that, you know, it wasn't, sacrifice of animals that he wanted it was it was our hearts <clears throat> so so for me i try my best to it was a long answer but try my best great. to let my life be that and um in context of this album or anything any of the albums i do with jesus culture we just want um people to be um people to, to encounter god through them and it's just to be an offering for him so 
That's really fantastic stuff, man. That's fan. That's a really so, so many interesting thoughts on that. And uh, my guest has been Chris Quilala. I did that wrong. I'm gonna, Quilala. The good news is it's an editable <laughs> medium. We're not going live. Um, yeah, you, you nailed it earlier. So. I know, right? When we weren't recording, I crushed it. That's the story of my life. You can in many say it ways. However you want. <laughs> well, my, so much thank Chris thanks so much for taking the time I guess being Chris Kilala the album The Split the Sky it's available everywhere now it, it, I've gotten a chance to listen to it it is a really uh, cool departure it's, it's a lot of uh, cool musical ideas but the heart behind it's awesome too so we hope you check that out and Chris thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me brother thank you so much it was a privilege All right, it was very fun to talk to Chris. I want to thank him for taking the time. Again, the album Ooh. is Split the Sky. It is available everywhere you buy music now. You can also find him online on Twitter and Facebook. And it's just his name, Chris Kilala. That's Q-U-I-L-A-L-A. Uh, again, big thanks for him to take the time to talk to us. The, uh, I got a copy of the record. It's definitely worth checking out. We're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox, and it says, I'm in a relationship where we've been dating for four years and we're talking about marriage. We've done everything the right way, uh, putting God at the center of a relationship, ministry with each other, abstaining and stuff, and we both feel like this is the person God wants me to be with. My issue is that I cannot shake the fear that at some point in the marriage, he may cheat. He's done nothing to make me feel this, but I've been constantly told that all men cheat. How can I let go of this fear so we can move forward? And Jed, why don't you start us off on this one? Well, I'm so sorry for the, the fear that you're dealing with. That's an awful place to be, and I'm glad that you wrote into us. Here's the funny thing about fear is I think that the vast majority of people do not in any way understand the things they're afraid of. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the more they are afraid of something, the less they seek to understand it. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge, huge, huge mistake. Um, part of the way adults deal with fears is they decide to learn about it and understand what the deal actually is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Do all men cheat? Um, No. Um, But here's the more important part. All men and women, all men and women are capable of infidelity. Right. All marriages, all, underscore that several times, are capable of falling prey to infidelity both ways. Right. So what makes the difference between where that happens and where it doesn't? That's the thing we really want to understand. For that, we're going to turn actually to some secular experts. This is from the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy. They're an old organization. They've been around a long time. They're basically one of the key professional societies for people who are marriage counselors. Mm -hmm. That's actually what they are. Here's what they say, and I quote, The majority of affairs happen as the result of relational dissatisfaction. They also happen as a result of personal dissatisfaction and low self-esteem. Let me read that again. Quote, The majority of affairs happen as the result of relational dissatisfaction. They also happen as a result of personal dissatisfaction and low self-esteem, end quote. Okay, now that's really useful. Now they're saying, yeah, there's exceptions and whatnot, but in general, here's how this works. That's really good information because now we can know, are we on a road towards something bad? Right. It's not just this is going to occur out of nowhere. Everything was great. Bam, mistress. It won't, it won't be right. like that. There's, there's something that leads to this. Then that can lead us to ask these really key questions. If the, if the things that really drive this tend to be relational dissatisfaction, personal dissatisfaction, and low self-esteem, then do we know how to build and maintain a satisfying relationship? 
Because if we if we know how to do that, we know how to work together as partners, then we're actually greatly reducing one of the key risk factors. That's right. awesome. That mm-hmm. should give us comfort. Do we know how to keep our partner encouraged and built up and moving towards a satisfaction in their own life? Uh, we can learn that and we can do that. And if we're doing that, then boom, again, we're dealing with one of the major risk factors. That should actually give us a sense of peace and a sense of serenity. That's a good thing. These brothers are going to give a lot of good stuff on the spiritual side of things and and what the Bible has to say. But I, I just want to double down on that idea of we want to understand how the things we are afraid of actually work. Most people, if you look around in your life, most people you know that are deeply afraid of something actually have a shockingly small degree of understanding of what yeah. makes that thing go. That's a good and word. Par- part of dealing with fear is disarming it through understanding. And that's a really good place to start with the fear with the uh, the fear aspect, and that really just goes for all kind of the idea of fear. Using that, Jed's giving us particularly that in the relational context. And uh, Lee, let, let's kind of pl- let's take this further into the. A relational side of things, as Jeb was pointing to, kind of the spiritual side of things. How do we yeah. how do we disarm these kind of thoughts? Well, um, I, I love where Jed started this out, and it's and and uh, it was actually you know th- the idea that we have more than one way to look at um, disarming fear because that's exactly where uh, it's exactly where I wanted to start when I read the question. Like, man, I'm so sorry that you're in the middle of this, and what you've got is you're afraid of a lot of things that haven't happened. You're afraid of a lot of things that you have that, as you said, you haven't even begin, been given reason to be afraid of yet. And that's, that is a terrible place to be. And we don't want you to stay there. And obviously you don't want to stay there either. And, and it's a positive thing that you're writing in, as Jed said, because it means you don't want to be here. That's, it's not the way that you want to think. And it's not the way that you want to, you don't want to be putting this on your boyfriend. And one of the things that I would say about fear is one way to disarm fear is to make a decision not to let yourself think, live, and cope in the future all the time. Um, one of the things that the Lord talks about is he says, actually give no thought for tomorrow. And one of the problems is we're talking about um you're you're kind of living in an emotional landscape where um where you're looking at like, okay, so if we get married, uh he's probably gonna cheat on me because every marriage has infidelity or whatever. And it's like w- you know, my first instinct is just to tell you, like, whoa, time out, like back up. One um, as Jed said, not every marriage experiences infidelity. Two, you're not even married yet. And yeah. so one of the problems is we are we are living so far into the future mentally, you're trying you're actually trying to cope with something that not only hasn't happened yet, we don't even have the situation set up for infidelity in marriage to happen because there's no marriage yet. So we're we're no we're like a thousand miles away from a situation that you're actually trying to emotionally cope with, and so when you look at the words that Jesus says, I mean, the, a lot of times the word that the words that Jesus says they seem so they they just seem so stark and they're 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 so strong that he would say something like, "Give no thought for tomorrow." Well, that seems like something like I don't even know how to do that. I don't know anybody who does that. So. Uh, how can I possibly understand what that means? And yet, if you did a thought experiment of what if I wasn't trying to emotionally cope with something that's even the possibility of it is years in the future, well, you would be in a totally different situation today. If you weren't trying to live emotionally and psychologically so far down the road in your future, you would be able to enjoy the guy that you've got today. 
the guy you're dating today, the guy that, as you said, gives you no reason to think that he would ever cheat on you. There, there's, there's something to celebrate in having a guy like that and having the relationship that you have right now, but we can't celebrate or enjoy any of that if the place that we live is in the future. And that's the thing about living in the future is in the future, anything could happen. I mean, as Jed said, any, any marriage relationship is susceptible to infidelity. Well, if, if you were to just take what Jed said right there and stop right there and live in that future, then you're like, I, I can't sleep at night because any marriage could be susceptible. And exactly as he's saying, well, let's understand what marriage is and let's understand how to build a close relationship and let's understand how to do that. But if all we do is live in the future where the, the future scape where anything could happen, well, that's going to be a difficult place to try to emotionally cope because you can't even, you, you, you don't know what's going to happen and all the things that could happen are all incompatible. And so you wind up trying to put out fires that can't even all happen at the same time. And yet you're here and today. And I know that's, that may be kind of a tough word, but I think it's interesting that the words of Jesus, while so simple, so simple, just give no thought for tomorrow. If that's something that we actually double down and try to figure it out, okay, I'm going to try to figure out how to do that today. Then I think that what you'll find is you won't have to cope with that thing in the future that we don't even know if it's going to happen. And you'll be able to enjoy the relationship that you have today. That's a really interesting way to go with that. I think there's a lot of really, really uh, smart stuff in there. Um, Glenn, uh, Lee is certainly pointing to it is a very, very sharp point of not emotionally living in the future. Now, we do have uh, something I want to be clear that Lee is not saying don't uh, think about things for the future. There's a big difference between thinking and emotionally living in. Obviously, uh, if we if we had a friend who said, well, you know, yeah, I mean, he's cheated on me two or three times. There's no reason to think that's going to happen in the future. I don't want to I don't want to not live in the moment here. You say that's. That's different than grieving a thing that hasn't happened right, yet. Right, that's right. So let's look at this. I think this is also an interesting um, opportunity to take this idea of, I hear this destructive thing all the time, and it's screwing up my actual life. So how do we think about this thing we're hearing yeah. that we know is not true, the kind of people who told it to us? How do we contextualize all that to be able to to move on? Well, yeah, I think, um, you know, when we're, when we're talking about marriage— uh, First of all, let's let's quickly deal with the insecurity piece of that in that uh, insecurity of course is based on fear and you know the the uh, the the element of that is the fears that you have about this are more likely to make it happen. Our mm-hmm. worst fears make our worst right. fears come true. And you say, "Well, that makes me feel more afraid." Well, then stop it. Yeah. Cuz that's this is not this is the point. If we so in other words, a, a woman who follows a man around and says, I know you're cheating me. I know you're going to cheat on me one day. I know you're getting tired of me and you're going to cheat on me and whatever. You're going to leave me for another woman. Eventually that dude's going to say, you know what? Maybe it is a good idea. I mean, she seems really sold on it. <laughs> sure, and, absolutely. Uh, really convinced that it's a, a much better way to go about things. So, yeah. So it, it, so we don't want to kind of go down that road. I would love to meet the person who's telling you that all men cheat on their marriages because uh, that's a person who's had some struggles. Yeah. And that doesn't relate to your situation. That's really more about their situation. Uh, so let's let's dismiss that element of that. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, uh, y- 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 when, when Jed was getting married, uh, you know, we were talking about, you know, the future and, and how do we handle things. And, of course— 
Jed wasn't worried on, about the possibility of him cheating on Hallie because no woman half as attractive as her would would even look at Jed. And That's also, so true. And it, she would end him, so there it, would, she wouldn't would, have to worry about fallout. There, we would never find the body. Yeah. And we would all miss him, but that's too, it's too bad now. It's yeah. too late, and there's nothing we can do. Uh, but it's 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 that thing of, you know, how, how, what do I expect, and how what, mm-hmm. do I even navigate that? But what I told Jed about that was uh, that, that married men who end up cheating to all tell themselves the same lie, which is, this new one really understands me. Oh, she gets me. <laughs> she doesn't have the negative feeling about me that the one at my house does. Yeah. Who actually knows how I am. Yeah. Uh, so, you know. Just to jump in real quick, it, it's worth knowing um, a significantly large number of affairs, including affairs on the man's part, begin as emotional affairs. Right. That's it, right. No it, it's actually not a ton of them that just jump straight to the physical thing. That's exactly right. And that's right. for precisely the reason Glenn's describing. Exactly right. And so I think uh, the the thing that, that I told Jed that I, I tell all uh, uh, men who are married is the right way to look at that is to look at the, the, the person in front of you that may be inappropriately flirting with you or what have you along the lines of what Jed's saying, is to take a look at that person and recognize with her, I would have to start over from the beginning. Yep. And that will cure you yep. right away. Yeah. You've got 10,000 hours built into this marriage. Yeah. And, and at times it's still a fairly sizable pain in the butt. With this one, I'd have to start all that over from the beginning. Yes. Oh God, no! Yep. Just figure out how to make this one work. Yeah. So, uh, so that's the the better way of looking at this. I think the more that you wrestle with a marriage, the more you engage with it, the more that you improve it. You'll you'll naturally have much much more uh, uh, confidence in what's going on. But w- when you make the decision uh, to to marry this guy, the commitment that you're making is. There is not a woman on the face of the planet who's prepared to do more for this guy than yep. me. And he That's feels right. the same way about me. Therefore, That's right. we don't need to worry. If he would leave you for someone who would treat him worse, we don't have a cure for that. Mm-hmm. We don't have a way to fix that, and we maybe don't want to try. That's, that's, a, that's a different kind of problem. So it's important uh, for you to recognize uh, the work that you put in uh, is is arming you against mm-hmm. the the worst That's possibilities right. here. I a final little story on that. I, my uh, my uncle. I have an uncle who's fairly wealthy, and uh, he invited me to a real swanky thing that his bank was throwing, like a swanky outdoor party thing. And a he, soiree, a, if you a, will. a soiree. I mean, it's literally you know champagne and caviar type thing. I stood out like a sore thumb, like you cannot imagine. But it's my uncle. I'm being nice and you know trying to behave myself. And he introduced me to a gal that he works with, who assumed I was wealthy and not a relative. And he says, uh, "This I want to introduce you to Glenn." And she shook my hand, and this is exactly what she said: "Oh my goodness, are you single?" Mm. M- meaning, are you loaded mm. and single the way that 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 my uncle is? And my response uh, to her was. No, I'm married and I'm exhausted. <laughs> and uh and by by that I mean I'm happily married and I'm not starting over because I'm I'm exhausted and I've put a lot of work into this marriage and yeah. I, it's finally getting to a point where it's like, you know, this is a thing. We're doing a thing yeah. here. I'm not I'm not going to start over with somebody else. 
if if I'm if I'm putting that kind of work into a, a marriage and really uh, investing to that extent, I don't have that sense of it's easy for me to just jump ship and be with somebody else. That's a really good point. It's also a very uh, a very um, useful thing to apply here. So, well, maybe all men just cheat. As, as uh, both generally are pointing out, everybody has the capacity. We're all centers. Yeah, everybody's a center. Everybody has, as we point out a lot of times to the guys who work at the bridge, uh, this is more in a recovery aspect, but everybody has a level of temptation at which they cannot resist anymore. Yep. Uh, Lee was actually making a really fascinating point a couple episodes ago about the the idea that one of the reasons uh, the Bible may say that Jesus was tempted more than anyone ever has been is because he never just said, screw it, gave up and gave in. Yeah. Right, he right, kept right. getting tempted. Right. That's a really interesting point here, but that's the thing is everybody, whoever you think of, has their point on everything. Yes. Where if there's a certain level of temptation, They're they will give in. into it. That yep. is what it is to be a fleshly person. Mm-hmm. So what we're looking for here is you say, well, my boyfriend's never given me a reason to doubt that he would be faithful to me. We have to take that at its stride yep. and say, everybody has this capability. As you're pointing out, here are the things I can name, which are the ways we as a couple and he as an individual are working towards not ever being in the position where... They would yep, give into exactly. this where other yep. people would. Yeah. So it's it's very it's kind of a high level thing, but it, if you have the capability to do it, this is something I've learned from all three of you guys in this podcast. Every negative kind of thought, situation, mindset you have, you can flip it to a positive one. If you're willing to do the work to find it, you say, "Well, if they, every guy could cheat on me." Okay, now now I, sit down and write out a list of reasons you think this is not this guy won't. Right. Yeah. And if there's a big one missing from that, you can work on that. You can be right. yep. part right. of this is right. part of the I think part of the fear you're dealing with. Let's go back to where Jess started with this here is this idea of, well, it's all cast to the wind and uh, we are but fortune's fool. Maybe he's out at a work thing and somebody comes up to him asking me a single and boom, just cheated on. Right. Yeah. It's really right. not. Again, there are extreme cases of sex addiction and personality disorders and all that stuff that, but right. within the the wide range of most people as just starts off with, there's some run up to this whole thing. Good day, sir. Yeah. May I interest you in an affair today? <laughs> right. No, well, I hadn't thought about it, but okay. <laughs> yeah. I would just say, you know, after having 15 years of being a pastor in a church, every single time we've heard the sad story, it started with, um, you know, he laughed at my jokes. Yep. Yep. And uh, you know, she she listened to me, she really gets me. Yep. Right. Um and at home they don't, you know, I I can't even get them to look me in the eye. We don't talk anymore. It's always we don't talk anymore. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and I think it's a very good point because that's and that's not saying everyone who gets cheated on is a bad partner. That's saying most of the time when there's infidelity, there was a breakdown in the relationship. Yes. That's not this, right. you know. Which is on both people yeah, by that's, definition. The, the breakdown relationship is always on both parties who are in it. So this is not necessarily about assigning blame. This is not saying you have to dedicate yourself to being the most agreeable woman who's ever been married so he won't cheat on you. But you can have a sober and accurate assessment of here are the strengths of our relationship. Here are the weaknesses. Here's what we need to do to work on the weaknesses. And yes. A, that's going to make your relationship a whole crap ton yeah. better. And B, that's going to help fight this fear as uh, Jed starts off on of if you can name the things, well, I worry that we don't, I worry that we don't have the same sense of humor. So somebody else laugh at his jokes. You can explore that. You can sure. find out what makes him laugh. You can go see his movies. You can, once you've named it and start working on it, not only are you better equipped to deal with something, but you also feel a lot better about your mm-hmm. abilities to deal with something, which goes a long way 
on this. That is a lot of good stuff. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumble.com. We're taking out the song this week. This is from our friend, the venerated and mysterious pool house guru Ooh, who uh this is nice. uh, from our november version of Bridgebox. this is a song he calls five sparrows based on a story out of luke's a very cool song for me to take out with that thanks for listening just remember we love you god loves you there's nothing you can do about it to say that podcast you get baking will taser map and wedding bells gonna ring <laughs> <laughs>